I never tire of the things of the Lord. I don't ever tire. You know why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that inspires it. Amen. I, I am so glad to be in the house of the Lord to look around and see the family of faith. I know there's a lot of people I was sharing this morning in our leadership huddle. I said there's a lot of people that said, uh, Pastor, I'm going to be out this week. It's, it's thanks the week before, weekend before Thanksgiving. I guess that's the... <laughs> That's the vacation time that people have and they're getting out and about. But it is always good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be, to look out and see people here, to see people prepared and ready to hear the word of the Lord. I pray that you came to worship the Lord. This is a worship service, right? So we came to worship God. How many know that's important that we come to worship God? How many know that he's worthy of being worshiped, right? So it's not like, oh, ho-hum, well, I'll just, you know. God is worthy of that. How many can say amen to that? But we also come because something unique happens. We're going to come here to get God's heart. We're going to hear his mind. And, and, and the hope and the expression of the Spirit of God inside of you is that he's going to take what you hear and he's going to impress it upon your heart so that when you walk out of here, you're going to walk out that word in the street, right? So over the years, I've had a lot of people. In fact, not too recently, I heard somebody tell me, I don't go to church anymore. He says, because I've already heard all the messages. And I said, oh, is that true? You heard all the messages. I said, well, the question is, have you heard them? The question is, have you done them? Right? Hearing's okay. Amen. You heard it. Good. But the question is, are you doing what you heard? Jesus says, listen, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. And I pray that you come in that frame of mind. So let's do this today. You know that we are in a series called The Names of Jesus, right? And we've been going through several names. And we began that name with that beautiful name we call Emmanuel. And then we went through uh, prophetically and politically what was said of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And then last week we got into the awesomeness of the Word. How many know that Jesus is called the Word of God? Today I'm going to teach you today the history of of the name son of David and I'm going to show you not only is it a history of God's governance but it's also the history of our anointing and I want to teach you that how many today know that you're anointed listen if you don't know that or that may be where the enemy has blinded your eyes you are anointed right you're anointed of God the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is in us right how many know that that Holy Spirit is often referred to as the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of the Son of God I want to talk about that today because I want you to walk in the understanding of your anointing so important that the people of God walk in their anointing right so let's do this I'm gonna have you stand to your feet and if you have your Bibles I want you to go to St. Matthew 21 and I want to read a, a, a very popular passage of Scripture most of the time Oh, this is read sometime there and abouts when we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. But I want to introduce this to you. This is St. Matthew 21. And I want to give this to the family of faith just as a beautiful expression of, of the, the name, the son of David. And I want to show you in context how the people saw the Lord, how the people saw Jesus. Some of you that know your Bible well know that this the triumphal entry happens almost right after the miracle of Lazarus, the rising of Lazarus. How many know that that was a miracle, the rising of Lazarus, a powerful miracle? So the Bible says that Jesus purposed to go back into Jerusalem. We know the purpose of Jesus going back into Jerusalem is to be crucified. But what happened when he got there was something unique. And I want to read this to you because I want you to begin to perceive Jesus the way the people perceive it. And I pray that today, when you leave today, whatever might be happening or going on in your life, that you'll still continue to perceive them coming into Jerusalem as their Savior. So if you're in St. Matthew uh, chapter 21, let me just get my Bible over there. St. Matthew 21, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 just to draw it. I'm mainly trying to get to two verses, which is verses 8 and 9. And you'll see why I will read through this to get there. I think this is going to bless everybody that reads it. Notice, of course, Jesus in Bethage, or what we commonly refer to as Bethany. Uh, this is St. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 1. It says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus to disciples. And some of y'all know this. This is a miraculous story, but nonetheless, I'll read this to you. It says, Saying unto them, Go unto the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied in a colt with her, Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, 
the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Now watch this. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Of course, you know, this is Isaiah 62. If you've never read the powerful chapter, he says, Tell ye the daughter of, tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king. Somebody say the king. Thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the fowl of an ass. And the disciples went and did, did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and they sent him thereon. Now watch verse 8. This is what we came to talk about. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strewed them in the way. And the multitude that went before him, watch, watch the anthem, watch the, the motto, watch the cry. And the multitudes that went before them and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Oh, somebody needs to lay hold of that. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Watch this. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Let me say this to you before we pray. Do you know that the anointing that is in your life is the highest anointing? The anointing that God has placed on you through the son of David is the highest anointing. It is literally Hosanna in the highest. I want to talk about that today. I'm going to teach you a little bit of the history. And I think this will help the church family as we kind of get into the names of Jesus. Amen. Are you ready to pray with me? You ready? Let's just set aside all the cares and duties. Let's just put our mind attentive to the Lord for the next 30 minutes. Father, we thank you for this glorious day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come into your house to hear your heart and mind. For Holy Spirit, I know that you're going to take these words and you're going to impress them upon our hearts that we might be the people of God that you've desired of us, that we might go into this world that we live in. We, we might go on our city street, our city block, and demonstrate the purposes of God to expand the kingdom of heaven. That we might go tomorrow morning into a workplace, into an environment, into a desk, into a cubicle, into an office, uh, into, into uh, conversations with co-workers. That our language, our conversation will reflect the glory of God and the purposes of the Lord right here on earth till your kingdom come. I pray your help and strength over every believer, over every person. And I pray today, above all, that the people of God will recognize how unique they are in the world they live in. And they are truly anointed of you. And so I pray blessing, purpose, and strength as we move forward. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, before you see it, I want you to do this because I, it, it looked a little odd when I asked how many know you're anointed. I, I want you to go find five people and, and try to find the people who you think don't look so well right now. It looks like they got something on their mind or something. And I want you to tell them, your anointing is the highest anointing. Will you go tell them that? Just say, your anointing is the highest anointing. Go tell them. Your anointing is the highest anointing. If you're watching today uh, by stream, welcome to the house of the Lord. We welcome everybody to Harvest Point Church. Whether you're in the sanctuary or watching by stream, welcome everybody. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Your anointing is the highest anointing. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Your anointing is a powerful anointing. Your anointing is a powerful anointing. Look at your neighbor. Say, your anointing's my anointing. My anointing, Jordan. Ain't nobody here got, a, got one anointing over another. It's the same anointing. Working all in all. True and true. Amen. What an awesome day it is. What an awesome day it is. Your anointing is the anointing of the highest order. Amen. It won't get no deeper. I'm praying that today I'm going to teach you the history of governance of God. I want to teach you the history of the anointing of the Lord. Amen. I'm hoping that today you'll understand that your anointing is tried and true. Your anointing will work in any place at any time because it is the anointing of the son of David. I want to show you some uniqueness in the kingdom of God.
In fact, will you do me a favor? If, if, if you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24, the last chapter of the book of Joshua. I just think it might be good that you might lay your eyes upon a, 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 a statement of governance. Uh, most of you are familiar with this passage, and if you're a Christian, you've been brought up in a Christian home, uh, this, Josh, uh, Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 was probably a verse you heard quite often. Uh, but what often happens with a verse like that, because it's used so often, that oftentimes the meaning of the verse is often lost. The historicity, as they say, the, the biblical history of the verse is lost because it's quoted so often. If, if you're in Deuteronomy, uh, uh, excuse me, Joshua chapter 24, if you're in verse 15, just, just look at it briefly. Just kind of quickly look at that verse. You'll, you'll quickly recognize why I'm saying it's probably the most quoted verse in all of the Old Testament for any Christian family. But what I want to draw your attention to is the verse that precedes it, which is verse 14, because I want to demonstrate to you that this verse is not a verse of just practical use, but rather it is a verse of governance. If you're there, this is, this is Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. This is what Joshua says to the nation of Israel. Now remember, let me set the stage. and Let me just draw back and set the stage. Uh, Joshua is addressing the nation of Israel who is now living in a land they did not possess. Who are about to go back to homes they did not build. Who are about to go back to vineyards they did not plant. To as what the Bible says, a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, the, the land of, of Canaan, the promised land, has now been divided uh, into 12 tribes. And people are going back to the possessions God has given them. And I want you to hear that Joshua is now standing before the nation of Israel. And he's about to herald the governance of God. It's governance. We hear it, you know, in practicality as we read it in, in the 15th chapter. But I want you to hear Joshua speak to the nation of Israel to speak that which God has already spoken. And he's only ratifying that which God has already said. And so he says this. Now, therefore, this is verse 14. Fear the Lord. You see that? Therefore, fear the Lord. And serve the Lord. Serve God with sincerity and in truth. Uh, that particular mantra is so ingrained in the system of governance in the nation of Israel that even Solomon, David's son, said this in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. It wasn't not this. He said, and let us hear the conclusion on the matter. Fear God and obey his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. Why is it the whole duty? It's the system of governance, what God wants. So notice what he says, put away the gods your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. Then you get to verse 15, and this is a verse we all remember. And if it seem evil for you to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods your father served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in land which you now dwell. He says this, you've heard this before, but as for me... In my house, we will serve the Lord. Let me say that again. But as for me, my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We clap at that. And man, that's a statement upon statements. But we're not realizing that that statement is a statement of governance. Now, let me help you understand that because I'm not only teaching you the history of governance in Israel, but I also want to teach you the history, the origin of the anointing. So I want you to, now, now play this back with me. Now notice just the following verse that the nation of Israel heralded back in unison back to Joshua and said, God forbid that we would forsake the Lord and serve other gods. To which Joshua replies, if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, he's going to turn and do you hurt. He's going to consume you. Even as he has done you good. And they said back to him, we will serve the Lord. He goes, and you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen you this day to serve the Lord. And you know what they say? We are witnesses. 
So important that you understand what God was purposing to do. Now, now, uh, open your Bibles. I want to show you something else. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 because I want this to be so ingrained in us. So ingrained in us. Uh, go with me to 1 Peter, uh, chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. I'm going to read verse 9 in time. I'll just quote it to you. These are verses that have been in my spirit for ages, right? Some of you are familiar with this verse. I'm going to quote it to you because I want to show you something unique that happened in the nation of Israel. I'm going to show you while Peter states it to the church, he's now given it to the modern believer, the Christian. So you're there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is what he says. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him that brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He said, who were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I want you to hold that tight because mercy is is the fuse. Could I say mercy is the gunpowder to the keg of the anointing? Now, let me explain why I say that. Do you understand that God was going to make, had already promised to make Israel a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? This is not the first time we hear that verse. That verse was already given to the nation of Israel in the 19th chapter of the book of Exodus. This is what God told Moses before he gave him his law. Because how many know we have one lawgiver? The Bible says, now, now, now watch, I'm teaching you history, so just bear with me. Because I know sometimes we come to church and, you know, we just want to get our, you know, get goosebumps and, you know, get our feelings touched. But I want to teach you something. I want you to understand that, that when you go back into the Bible, before God gave the Ten Commandments, that's what he told Moses. Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to go tell the people that I'm the one that brought them out of Egypt. I, I bore them as, of, as on wings of the eagle, of an eagle. And I want to make them a peculiar people. I want to make them a holy nation. I I, I want to make unto them a royal priesthood. And if they want that, go tell them. Ask them, do you want God to reign over you? And the Bible says that in unison, the nation of Israel said to Moses, "All all that God hath said, we will do. The very next verse, the cloud appears. God delivers to Moses the Ten Commandments in the fury of his consuming fire, in his power, and in his ability. And the Bible says, God said after he gave him, he says, now go back, ask them one more time. Do you want to be a holy nation? Do you want to be a peculiar people? Do you want to be a royal priesthood? Do you want me to reign over you? And they all said in unison, all that, the, all that God hath said, we will do. Next, next verse Moses wrote down the commandments. Now watch this. Do you know that God's governance was this? He was sending back the nation of Israel, multiplied millions of people into the land they didn't possess, into homes they didn't build, into vineyards they didn't plant, into a land flowing with milk and honey, absent of a king, a ruler, an emperor, a Caesar, a governor, a political official. They were going back to their homes with the father who would be a priest over that house. The only command that they had was a commandment of God, which was what? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Go do this and live. That was all they had. Nothing more. No system of governance, no taxation, nobody telling them what to do and how to do it. Nobody doing anything but living under the commands of God. And this was the plan of God for the nation of Israel. Insomuch that he would say, you are now a holy nation. You are now a peculiar people. You are a royal priesthood. I've made all of you men priests to govern my law. Go do it. This is all God had asked. So much so that even the Bible says that Moses said that nations will look upon us and say, look at how peculiar they are. They don't have all of the layers of governance. All they have is God is king. 
and his command in the home. Think about our system now, anybody? Ever think about the judicial system that we're living under now, the political system? Somebody told me the other day that the Affordable Care Act and the Education Act that was passed, you know, maybe 10 years ago, has 11,500,000 words. Anybody hear of the Inflation Reduction Act? They tell me it's almost 800 pages of legislation. And then we get to the family of faith, right? But there's people who say, well, you know what, Pastor, I, I don't want to read my Bible. Just, you know, just so, there's so much. Do you know that the New Testament has 200 pages? <laughs> Some of y'all will read a little book, a little novel that has thousands upon multiplied thousands of words. Do you know that all of the words that Jesus spake were 31,000 words? Did you know that the entirety of your King James Version of your Bible is right under 800,000 words, the entire King James Bible. Think of all the legislation that's passed. Think of all the laws. Do you know the penal code? Have you ever looked at the penal code in Texas? I recently had to go look back in it because there was a situation. Listen, you can't even find your way through that maze of legislation and laws and things, stuff you don't even know about. And God simply said to the nation of Israel, love me and love others. You know, now we got all this legislation and jurisdiction and the executive branch and the judicial branch and, and all the legislative branch of government. What? And the home is corrupted. God said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build my kingdom out of the home. My kingdom will start with people in their own houses. And listen, I just want you to hear that. That is the system, the historicity of the peculiarness of the holiness of the priesthood of God. Just want you to see where it's founded. Just, just, just chalk that up. Now you know. Because the nation of Israel went back to do their thing in the sight of God. Now let me teach you this. Let, let me go through the books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Watch this. Joshua, Judges. It's interesting that after Joshua spoke that in the 24th chapter of the last of the book of Joshua, we find that less than a decade later, the nation of Israel is already in whoredom. Less than a decade, they're already serving other gods. I want you to hear this. This is what the nation is. This is a pattern. Some of y'all know your Bible. Uh, you know, I, this is what I do. I, I study the Bible for a living. So I, I love it, right? I eat, sleep, and drink the Bible. I go to sleep, meditate, and I wake up thinking about it, right? It's in my mind. Well, watch this. Twelve judges in Israel. L let me tell you, had God had his way in your Bible, had, had the nation of Israel been holy, there would not be a book of Judges. There would not be first and second Samuel. There would not be first and second Kings. God did not want to govern by judges. And he didn't want to do it by kings either. And I want to show you that what the nation of Israel would do. This is what they would do. Watch. So now I'm into the origin of your anointing. Oh, here we go. Y'all ready? Now I want to teach you the origin of the anointing of God. And I want to teach you why I'm so powerful. Oh, y'all hear what I just said. I want to teach you why you're so powerful. The nation of Israel, of course, we know the first judge of Israel is Othniel, right? The nation of Israel would go out and begin to serve other gods. And then as they begin to commingle with the nations around them, they started marrying the women from that nation and the men of that nation. And then as they commingled into culture and society, then that government began to oppress them. They were Jews. And, and then what happened was they began to cry out to God, help us. Save us. And so God would rise up a judge. The Bible says he would put his anointing on him. The Holy Spirit would come and envelop that judge just as the way it envelops us. Think about that for a minute. So I always say this. You be careful when you're reading the Old Testament. Because there's a lot of people that try to downplay the role of the, New Test the Old Testament. Let me tell you what. Every letter that's in black is the Holy Ghost talking. Amen. And every letter that's in red is Jesus talking. So don't be acting like, oh, the Old Testament, that's just a bunch of old stories. You better be careful when you talk like that. Because that's the Holy Spirit talking. Why? Because he's talking through priests. 
He's talking through prophets. He's talking through kings. And he's talking through judges. Everywhere the anointing is, is now in black. Think about what I'm teaching you because this is valuable for your life. So I want you to see that now the judge has now been vested with the Holy Ghost. He is an Old Testament figure full of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that God would take that man and he would go and cause the people of the Lord to repent. And because he was a military figure, he was a system of governance, he would deliver the nation of Israel and bring them back to God. And that cycle would repeat itself and repeat itself and repeat itself with every judge. The anointing would come to rescue. The man would die. They would apostatize again. God would raise up another man, anoint him. He'd go deliver. That judge would die. The nation of Israel back where they were before. You hearing me? We see this happening in all the judges. You might be familiar with some of them. How many of you know who Gideon is and Samson is? How many of you know who Samuel is? Let, 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 me go, let me take you to Samuel. Samuel is the last judge. He's unique because something happens in his life that is, that is truly unique in that, uh, you know, here, here's Samuel. He, he's an old man uh, raised uh, from the, the priest called Eli and Shiloh. And you know how God divinely produced the life of Samuel out of the barren womb of his mother Hannah. The Bible says that, that then, now Samuel uh, is now an old man. He has two sons, Joel and Obiah. They are both evil men. And I want you to know, just to show you that these men were not perfect, Samuel was not a good father. He raised bad boys, just as Eli did, Hophni and Phinehas. Y'all know the story of them, right? I just want you to show that these men were not perfect, but they were full of the Holy Ghost. And I want you to see that the Bible says that they came to Samuel and said, Samuel, look, your sons are bad, right? They're not like you. They don't walk like you with God. So, so we just want to let you know that we don't no longer want a judge. We want a king. And it offended him. It broke his heart. The Bible says that Samuel went back before the Lord with that broken heart, that broken spirit. He said, Lord, tell me they don't want me no more. He said, they don't, they don't want a judge. Now they want a king like the other nations. You know what God said to them? Hearken unto their voice, Samuel. Listen to what they're saying. You see, they haven't rejected you. They're rejecting me. That I should reign over them. That I should be their king. Man, it's not you. They're rejecting me. He goes, you go back and tell them that if they get a king, that king's going to enslave them. He's going to take your boys onto the battlefield. They're going to be his archers. They're going to be his men on the field. They're going, to, they're going to be on those chariots. They're going to be on those horses. He's going to take your daughters as slaves. They're going to cook his food. They're going to pick his grains. They're going to plant his fields. And above all, he's going to tax you. Every seed he's going to tax. All the money you make he's going to tax. He's going to possess your very possessions. Is that what you want? And the Bible says that the nation of Israel said, yes, we want a king. So you know what God told Samuel? Fill up your horn. We got to go make an anointing. Oh, y'all didn't hear it. Do you not hear the mercy in that? Do, do, you, do you not hear how merciful God is? When he says, okay, they want a king. They don't want me. They want a king. Get your oil. Get, get oil in your horn. We're going to go make an anointing. There's a man by the name of Saul. I want you to go anoint did you know that there were 42 kings over the nation of Israel, even when it divided to a northern and southern kingdom, 42 kings, and the Bible records of those 42 kings, only eight of those kings were good. Of course, you know Saul fell. God said, Samuel, fill up your horn. We got another anointing to make. This time I want you to go to a man by the name of Jesse. He has eight boys. I want to anoint one of them. There's, there's a boy that's after my heart. This is where it gets good. 
Oh man, I just want, I'm teaching you the origin of your anointing. I'm, I want to draw you into the historicity and the beautifulness of the Bible. I want to draw you into what God has delivered to you. He said, listen, there's a boy after my own heart that loves me that's out in the field and he plays his songs. He's got a harp and a guitar and he worships me out in the shepherd's field. He loves me and I love him and I want to anoint him. And the Bible says, you know the story that Samuel Philip his horn went out to Jesse and they brought his son. The Bible says his first son Eliab came through and Samuel said in his heart, oh, surely the Lord's anointed is with him. And as he passed on by, God spoke not a word. And all of the seven sons passed by before Samuel without the anointing being poured. And you know what happened? Samuel said, Lord, what happened? Where, where's the anointing? He said, well, the problem is you're looking on the outside. Well, see, I'm looking on the inside. Think how rich our anointing is. The God said, I'm looking at something very specific. There's something down deep that I want to do. And Samuel said, well, do you have any other boys? He said, I got one other boy, but you know, but you know he's, he's out there in the field. We, we don't ever bother him too much. He's just a little shepherd. He's out there doing little stuff, and we just have him doing mediocre things. You know, he's just a shepherd. He says, bring him. Because we won't even sit down till he appears. And the Bible says, while David was still a little, little short little boy, ready, little red, little cheeks come. And the Lord says, anoint him. Watch this. Bible says, 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 13. That in the presence of his brethren, Samuel poured that anointing out of his the horn, that flask. That anointing went all the way down, David. And the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord came down upon him. That, that, that anointing, listen, listen, that anointing uh, was so beautiful that that anointing caused David, listen, you got you to gotta hear, that anointing is so profound and so prolific and so beautiful that that little shepherd boy, when he heard a monster, a, 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 a giant barking blasphemies, blasphemies against God, that he said, who is this Philistine that speaks blasphemes, blasphemes my father? And the Bible says that he took that Goliath on, that giant, with five stones and a little sling. That anointing. A little boy destroying the biggest of giants. The anointing. Oh, there's so much more I can say. So little time. The Bible says, 2 Samuel, let me make sure I get my chapters right. 2 Samuel Chapter 6 or 7, pardon me, because, you know, I can turn the pages of my Bible in my mind, you know. There it is. <laughs> Chapter 7. Yeah, David wants to build a temple for God. He says, well, you know, I live in this palace. I, I live in the finery of life. And the Ark of the Covenant, the, the actual representation of the person Christ is behind curtains. And he, and he went to his prophet Nathan. Nathan, I want, I, I want to build a, a, a temple for God. And Nathan said, do as your heart so pleases. God be with you. Godspeed. The Bible says that that very night, God visited Nathan. You know what he told Nathan? Man, please. You can't build a house to contain me. I'm God. And one, I've never asked anybody to build me a temple. And even when I sojourned with Israel, did I not go with them and in tabernacles and in tents? I dwelt with them. I delivered them. I'm their God. He says, and did I not appoint judges to govern over them? And did I not appoint kings? Did I not bring you out of nowhere to make you somebody? You go back and tell David, I don't want a temple. I'll let his son Solomon build it. Because you see, David had a lot of blood on his hands. But I want you to hear this. God said, but there's something special I want to do with you. Not only am I going to make sure that your son Solomon builds me a temple and that his kingdom continues through your loins, but... Out of your loins, David. 
I'm going to make a kingdom that will have no end. That'll be from everlasting to everlasting. I'm going to take out of your loins. I'm going to make a kingdom out of your bowels, out of your loins. And I'm going to make a kingdom that'll reign forever for my name. The anointing. The anointing would have no end. I'm going to deliver my people once again. Fast forward now to Matthew 21. Fast forward now. See, see, we're Gentiles. We don't have the history, but the Jew did. The Israelite knew, the Hebrew knew that there was somebody coming who had the anointing of God who was in fact out of the bowels of David himself. And all you have to do is read the genealogies, both in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. But there was one coming in the fullness of the anointing of God that had every power to deliver, to rescue, to save, to heal. Let, let, let me, let me, let me, before I get into Matthew 21... Can I quote a verse that I quote in my prayer? This is, this is my prayer life. Sometimes I think where it's necessary, I have to share what I pray about, right? And I think it'll help you. If you can pray this, it'll help you. Let, let, let me give you a, a mantra of, of, the, of the banner that hangs over my life. This, this, is, this is my mission statement. This is what I live for. This is what I'm about. This is what I, I'm going to say it like Jesus said. Watch this. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. We're talking anointing. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because, somebody say because. Somebody say that's cause and effect. I mean, we've been you because. They're giving you the reason why. Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to preach deliverance for the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, to tell them that the kingdom of heaven is right now. Oh, somebody. Oh, somebody. You see, he's talking about the anointing, the right now anointing. He's talking about the right now anointing. Oh, that you would understand the privilege you have of saying, son of David. Oh, the distinction, the heavenly distinction. Do, do, do you know that, that, that the people who lined up them branches saw the miracle of Lazarus? The Bible says from that time many Jews believed. And people were being rushed into the kingdom of heaven by the very power and agency of that anointing. You remember him, right? Lazarus, come forth. The Bible says that they were ready to take him as king. But Jesus says, I got to go back to Jerusalem. You see, I'm going to be crucified there. As he was coming back into Jerusalem, they lined the street with palm branches. The people recognized who he was. They said this, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. Rescue me. The word Hosanna means deliver me, heal me, rescue me to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name. Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. How does he do that? Through his name. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! In the highest. That means this anointing, this son of David is from the highest of heavens. Isn't that what we're taught? That Jesus' name is above every name. Whether names in heaven or names on earth or names under the earth. There is no name higher than the name of Jesus. And he comes in the fullness of that expression. He comes in the fullness of that expression. Now, I can see some of you already. What are we doing today for lunch? What are we doing? I'm bored at church. The 
Listen to this. Watch how prolific this anointing is. You want to hear how prolific it is? It actually works where mercy is most needed. Let, 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 me, let me go a little deep. Watch this. Jesus says, you know, Philip wants to see the Father. Jesus says, you can't do that. That's why he sent me the word. We learned that last week. Now watch this. Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that believeth on me, the very works that I do, shall he do also. Now listen. And greater works. Hosanna in the highest and greater works than these shall he do. Because, watch this, I go unto my Father. What an odd statement to make. He goes unto the Father. Why did he say that? Because he said this. Verily, verily, I tell you the truth. It's expedient that I go. For if I do not go, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says he's going to glorify me. He's going to take of mine. He's going to show it unto you. Think about that for a minute. That the anointing of the son of David is now on me. Think about what I just told you. You ought to jump for joy. You should have left this building screaming hallelujah. Think about what I just said. The anointing of the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Son of God, is now resting on you. For the Bible declares, the same Spirit that dwelled in Him, that rose Him from the dead, is the same Spirit that will quicken your mortal body. Listen. Look at the history. Look at the history. Look at, look at the history of, look at, as they say, the etymology of a name. Look at the etymology of the anointing. Everywhere mercy was needed, God sent his anointing. Hallelujah. Let me say that one more time. Everywhere mercy was needed. You know what mercy is, right? Right? People say, well, what's grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is God not doing to you what you deserve. How many know that if God really did to you what you deserve, you wouldn't be sitting in that seat? Sitting there with your arms crossed looking at me like, what you talking about, preacher? Listen, brother and sister, had it not been for the mercy of the Lord, you would have all been consumed. You'd all been consumed. What does the Bible say to the prophet Micah? What does the Lord require of you? Well, I don't know what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Why is loving mercy so essential? Because mercy is a foundation. Uh, mercy are those places where we find people who are in a condition or a situation that they so justly deserve. That's when we see them, we say, you're getting what you deserve. Man, brother, that's karma coming back at you. And God's saying, I don't think that way. I'm a merciful God. I know how you got there. I'm going to deliver you. Anybody here of the prodigal son? How many know the prodigal son left his father? But the Bible says God was looking from a distance, a far way off. And when he saw him, he ran to him and hugged him and loved on him. That's mercy. If you want to know what grace is, look at the feast that he threw. Isn't it beautiful when you see them together? The mercy of God and the wonderful feast that he threw on his behalf. That anointing whose origin is in the very governance of God. The one to whom even the apostle Peter says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Listen. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who were not a people, but now are the people of God. Who had not mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Brother and sister, do you see what's happening here? 
God is starting in your home. What a great God. And he put on you the anointing of the son of David. The royal anointing. Listen, look at the history. Look how faithful it is. Look how God instituted it and he gave it to you. Let me show you how it looks in the street. You want to see how it looks in the street? Let me show you how beautiful this mercy is. Jesus was walking by. The Bible says this is recorded, I believe, in St. Matthew. Is that the 22nd chapter? It might be 20. Oh, God. I know it's in Mark 10. Watch this. I know it's recorded. Let me see. <laughs> I'm going turning my pages in my head. Luke 10, Jesus is walking by. There's, there's a man blind. You know him as blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. The scriptures say that when he heard the ruckus, the noise, he said, well, who's here? Who's coming by? They say, it's Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. The Bible says the blind Bartimaeus stood up. And you know what he said? He said, son of David, have mercy on me. And he cried loud. And the closer Jesus got, the louder he cried in so much that the people around him, even the disciples said, man, quiet down. You're screaming too loud. Sit down. Shut up. You're making a distraction. The Bible says he cried out all the more. Up until the point where Jesus looked back and said, what would you want? What do you need? He says, son of David. Have mercy on me. Heal me from my blindness. The scriptures even recorded that he cast away his tunic, his, his outer coat. A way of him saying, I'm going all in. <laughs> you know, his tunic was what people threw the money and then he would just gather the four corners of his tunic. He couldn't see but would walk away with his givings, right? He threw that away. He's the son of David. I believe in you. I know who you are. You're the anointed one. Son of David, Messiah, and Jesus Christ are all out of the same, fundamentally the same teaching of the name son of David. A Messiah means the anointed one. Uh, Jesus Christ. Christ is not the last name. Look at your name and say, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christos is a Greek word, meaning the anointed one. Uh, th- of course, that being the adjective of the word, but more importantly, if we, know, if we know the verb, it means to smear on, to be smeared by. I wonder how many people in the house of the Lord have ever been smeared by the son of David to identify his anointing and say, that anointing is my anointing. The Bible says that Jesus looked and said, be it unto you just as you've spoken. Your faith has made you whole. Well, what faith? Faith in the son of David. Do you know that when you say in the name of Jesus, you conjure up the fullness of the anointing of God? Do do you know that when you say, son of David, help us. You're appealing to the highest order of the highest anointing of God and to the history of why God sent the anointing in the first place. It is powerful. That anointing is now in you. You say, preacher, where do you get that from? Let me mimic this. In fact, why don't you stand? I'm just going to give you, quote you a verse. Uh, How many know that Jesus... Okay, everybody look at your clocks real quick. It's three minutes past 12, so just, just don't run out of here. Right? I know some people thinking about I got to do something, but man, man, hold still. Listen. Okay, so, so check. Everybody still, I, I want to tell you something, right? So check this out. Just to show you how real this is. Jesus is, is resurrected, and he's now appearing 
to the disciples. Of course, we know Mary Magdalene saw him first. She runs back and tells the disciples what she saw. Uh, they thought she was talking nonsense, the Bible said. Everybody listen. Don't, don't be distracted. you got to hear this. Man, I prayed and consecrated myself for this very distinction. Look, the Bible says, while the door was still yet shut and the apostles hiding for sake of the Jews. Watch this. Jesus entered into the room while the door still being shut. And because they were terrified in his presence, he said, peace be unto you. Then Jesus did this. The Bible says he breathed on him and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Watch this. We know that Jesus appeared over 500 times uh, post-resurrection. Uh, uh, Paul states this as a case for his for his, the truth of the story by which he was resurrected. Paul said uh, uh, hundreds of people saw Jesus alive, right? Who are still alive to this very day, right? Y'all know these passages, right? But I want you to hear this. Jesus said, he told the disciples, tarry ye in Jerusalem. As he's ascending up into heaven. Y'all know the story, right? As his ascension. He says, tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. For the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. And he shall give you the power to be witnesses into Jerusalem. And in all Judea and all Samaria. And to the uttermost parts of the world. Why? Because Jesus was transferring his anointing to you. We have the anointing of the son of David. The anointing that began in men's rebellion against God at a time when mercy was, was, was the principal thing. God now gives it to us that we can go out into the world and affect people who very much ought to be where they are because they're the ones that brought them there. But God is sending you to deliver. He's sending us with that anointing. Can somebody say amen to that? Now, I don't know if there's anybody here that understands this the way I understand it. But I want to come to the son of David this morning. To the Messiah, to the Christos. I want to call him king. I want to call him king. If you're here today, and you say you know Jesus, but you don't call him king. That we don't identify him into the richness of the history of the purposes of God here on earth. That he would establish his kingdom forever and ever. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, when Jesus establishes his kingdom here on earth, and he most certainly will, that we're going to be priests for him all over the world. 